0: Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, page 883 uh, in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. Peace be with you. Always look forward to these gatherings so much. I look forward to Sunday, honestly, because it's a little bit crazy out there. You know, out in the world, this week was super up and down. Uh, I don't know if you, if you noticed that, if you felt it across our community, across the country. First we had Sunday, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Huge celebration, right? Um, plus, if you believe um, Bob Jones, who is a well-known charismatic leader, he prophesied that when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, revival will sweep across the country. Now, I'm not a huge Bob Jones guy, Uh, But when you put chiefs and revival in the same sentence, like I'm, I'm all in. Uh, I'm I'm honestly just disappointed that I didn't think of that first, because it sounds just fantastic. Uh, So may it be, Lord. You know, why not? It'd be great. Uh, Also this past week, we had, uh, of course, uh, the the annual State of the Union uh, address from our our president. And then the very next day, he was uh, acquitted from impeachment. And then we had the, the first round of Uh, you know, primary elections, the caucus in Iowa, uh, which I think people lost, like, the Google Doc for, like, three days, it sounded like. They didn't know where it went. We're not sure if we have results. Uh, But in each of these areas, people are just angry, you know? The president's speech, people are angry. The impeachment thing, people are angry. The Iowa results, people are just angry, you know? Uh, and when I think about this, the year that we have ahead of us in, in 2020 with the election at the end of the year, I do think this is going to be a uniquely challenging year, um, perhaps unlike any other in a, in a long time in our nation's history. It, it's like 2020 people have just agreed that this is the year of living intensely. Uh, everything is just so intense right now. And so on top of all of that, we put our own individual moments of great celebration, our own moments of total darkness and despair and and the heartbreak that we can we can experience in a single week and we we look at all these things both across our country and our own hearts and we need to realize that the early church in Acts as we're looking at it they face all the same challenges that we're facing today nothing that we're facing is is really that new even though we're looking back 2,000 years in the book of Acts in this early church they're facing the same types of of divisions the same barriers that we face today Barriers between genders, between uh, ethnicities, between socioeconomic groups. Uh, there are these barriers that have existed as long as humans have existed. And as we look at these things, uh, you know, it's great to pursue education and awareness and legislation and promote justice, and I hope we're doing all of those things. And yet I'm reminded as, as year after year goes by that we don't solve all these major problems that maybe our world doesn't have the answer, right? In fact, maybe the only place that can actually solve all of these problems and overcome all of the barriers that separate us as people, all of the heartbreak we face on a day-in and day-out basis, maybe the one thing we need is as simple as the presence of God. Really, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, empowering us, interceding for us to the Father, And in this this half-year-long study in Acts, what I want us to see together is that there is a power within Christianity. It's not a political power, it's not an earthly authority, but it is a true living strength and wisdom that fills us as believers, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the way of Jesus, and the way of Jesus is totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. Being, being filled, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, in his own earthly ministry, he did nothing until he received the Holy Spirit at his baptism. In the same way Jesus tells us in Acts 1, we looked at it the last couple weeks, he says, basically, don't move an inch toward the Great Commission until you've received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, the presence of God for us that can unite people, bring us together, that can, can fill us with joy and hope inside of ourselves for the strongest trials that we face. And it's the only way that we can practice the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. Trademark, that's the name of the series. That's our new mission statement. In the book of Acts, 59 times the Holy Spirit shows up. More than twice a chapter. And 36 times the Holy Spirit is speaking. Isn't that wild? 36 times it says, the Holy Spirit said, and then there's a statement. So we're like, wow, what did that sound like? 36 times the Holy Spirit is speaking. And so today we're looking at Pentecost, one of the most well-known episodes in acts where the Holy Spirit descends on the people with wind and with fire and things get real in the church. This is the start, the birth point of the church. Christianity as we know it begins. And so you can imagine being the disciples when Jesus has given this message, don't move an inch, don't lift a finger until the Spirit has come. And maybe they were thinking, how will we know? It's been a couple days. Will we even know when the Holy Spirit comes? And Jesus is like, you'll know. He likes to make an entrance. And so the three questions we're going to look at, what is Pentecost? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? And then how do we respond to him? So let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your incredible, powerful presence with us that you are a true and good and beautiful God. That you have called the entire universe into being by your word and you sustain us by your word. And so, Father, we we seek your face and we seek to glorify you because we belong to you and we we are nothing apart from you. Lord Jesus, as we have seen your your ministry in the Gospels, and now we know you through the Spirit, Lord Jesus, would you reign among us? We know that you are exalted on a throne, and one day you are coming back to to fully express the, the kingdom that you have been describing all these years. And so, Lord Jesus, may everything we do bring glory and honor to you. And Holy Spirit, we pray, would you come and would you fill us Would you fill our hearts? Would you fill our churches? Fill our city? Your word says that the results of being filled by you are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Would you fill us with all of these things, Holy Spirit? And knowing you are already here, nonetheless, we pray, would you you come, would you heighten our hearts awareness of your presence with us because we need you so desperately and so lord god would you be with us remind us show us your presence and lead us in your word this morning we ask amen all right first of all what is pentecost now you can open your bibles back up and look at the beginning of the chapter acts 2 it says when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now when you hear the word Pentecost right there in verse 1, I'm guessing many of you think of Pentecostalism, the, the tradition, the denomination within Christianity, and it emphasizes things like uh, prophecy, speaking in tongues, healing. Um, for a lot of you, Pentecostalism is what you think of when you hear Pentecost. At the Baptist seminary I went to, Pentecostal is what they call somebody that doesn't pass Greek on the first try. It's not necessarily a compliment, but we need to take back the word Pentecostal, right? It doesn't belong to just one tradition, one denomination. Anyone who lives on this side of Pentecost is Pentecostal. We're living post-Pentecost. Now, for the original hearers, they were Israelites. And the, and the moment when, when the Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, this meant something different to the Israelites. And so if you can hang with me for a minute, I want to describe what Pentecost was in the Old Testament and why it's so significant for how we understand the Holy Spirit today. In the Old Testament, Pentecost was a, was a festival. It's also called the Festival of Weeks. And that word, Pentecost, it means 50th day. And so Pentecost was a celebration of the deliverance of God's people through the Passover. So you remember the, the Israelites were instructed to put the blood of a firstborn lamb on their doorposts. And then the angel of the Lord came throughout Egypt and passed over the Israelite families, and they escaped Through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And it was on the 50th day after Passover that Moses went up on the mountain and God revealed himself and gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. And so, Pentecost, the 50th day, it's a way for the Israelites to remember that they were freed from oppression in Egypt. More specifically, it's a reminder that God has given his good law. we are, even as Christians, we're to look to the giving of the law as a profound moment for us as God's, God's people. They're not just a list of what to do and what not to do, but it's an entire framework for our lives in the kingdom of God. How do we order our lives? How do we relate to God and to one another? It's all given in the law, and the Israelites would celebrate this at Pentecost. They also decided to make Pentecost a celebration of their agricultural year. And so it was a way to celebrate that the harvest was beginning. They would time it around the the time of year when the first fruits would come out on the vine or or in the fields. And so you know the first fruits, they are evidence that this entire harvest is coming. You know, if you've planted grass before, those first few sprouts that come up from the dirt, it's exciting to see those little things, even if they don't actually grow and make it into the summer, you know that the rest of the grass is right behind it. It's, It's as good as here. And so, Pentecost, for the Israelites, it was a way to remember that God's good law had been given and that they were the first fruits of a coming harvest. Even in the Old Testament, we see that Israel, the salvation that they have in God, it was not just for them, but one day it would spread to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Through Israel, salvation to all people. And so, they were the first fruits, and one day there would be a coming harvest. That's what Pentecost means. In Acts 2. Of course, when the Holy Spirit comes down, everything that we know about Pentecost, it's, it's like turned up to 11. It's, it's amplified. It's, it's uh, you know, exponentially multiplied because the Spirit comes down in all of his power and glory. And it says in verse 5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And they had come into town for the day of Pentecost. When they heard this sound, the wind, and they saw the tongues of fire. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And so this is an extraordinary, powerful moment where the Spirit of God comes with such force. We see this a few times in the Old Testament, but this is an absolutely miraculous, powerful demonstration of God's presence among them. And these these tongues of fire rest above the heads of the apostles and the early Christians. It's incredible. And people from all these different nations that have gathered to celebrate the day of Pentecost, those that believe in God and fear God, they hear the gospel being preached in their own languages. Dozens, if not hundreds of different languages being spoken all of a sudden. This is an incredible and miraculous moment. And one of the things you may notice, there's a strong parallel here to the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. If you remember that story in Genesis 11, man has gathered together all of their resources, all of their skills and intellect, and they're trying to build a monument to themselves. They're trying to build the tallest pyramid in the world, and they gather together, and honestly, it's like a giant middle finger to God. It's a way of saying, we don't need you. We don't need your presence. We can build something incredible without you. And God looks down, and he's like, nah, just... Everything separates. It goes into confusion. It goes into chaos. And you remember what happens? There's all the different languages are confused. And so that's where all these languages begin. There's languages being spoken all over this pyramid, and they can't even understand each other, so they can't keep building. And there's like a, you know, one level pyramid that's like four feet high, you know, somewhere in the Middle East now. And so God comes down, gives all these different languages, and it brings confusion, and it brings division. That's the Tower of Babel. But Acts 2 is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. This time, the Spirit of God comes down and doesn't confuse, but brings unity. Again, there are all these different languages being spoken, but it actually brings about people who were once divided. Even though there's all these different languages, there's now a a shared language, a a language of the heart in the Holy Spirit. Instead of building a monument in their name, they go to the ends of the earth in Jesus' name. And so this is how the first church begins. This is the first church plant. It's a pretty powerful, you know, kind of launch Sunday, having all of this at the, the moment of the start of the church. But it's a clear sign that the old is gone and the new is here. The first fruits are on the vine, but now this massive harvest is beginning. Paul explains that all of this was foretold by the prophet Joel in verse 17. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to to feel this and recognize this, that Acts 2 is saying that we are now living in this time that Joel spoke of. That we are the harvest itself. These early Jewish believers, they were the first fruits on the vine, but now we are living in the time of the harvest. The Israelites were the first fruits, and most of us are not originally Jewish. So the idea that that salvation would spread through Israel and from Israel to all nations, that is the harvest that's described in the Old Testament prophecies. This very gathering is the fulfillment of Joel's vision three thousand years ago and of the day of Pentecost. 2,000 years ago. We're not waiting for the season of the Lord's favor. We are the season of the Lord's favor. We are the season of the harvest. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the second question is, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why does it have to happen like this? Why do we want it to happen like this? In John 16, at, at the Last Supper... Jesus says to his disciples, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him, the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, I will send him to you. Now I want you to think about this because this is so profound, but we can, we can move right past it so quickly. So even if you want to close your eyes or just take a moment to breathe and think about this, is it really better for us to have the Holy Spirit within us than Jesus Christ right next to us. Do I consider my relationship with the Holy Spirit so essential and vital to my life that it's more powerful than Jesus Christ literally living next door to me? This is the kind of of experience of the, the Holy Spirit and walk in the Holy Spirit that we should have and can have. The powerful, profound presence of God so filling our lives that it's not just Christ next to us, it's actually the Spirit of Christ within us, filling us, empowering us. And so Jesus started the whole Christian movement by sending his Spirit like a mighty rushing wind, and the place shakes, and languages are spoken, and the Spirit doesn't come like this. We're living. After Pentecost, so there 's not another Pentecost, but in a way, every day is like Pentecost, because we have the Spirit within us, empowering us is how cho- Jesus chose to start his church, right not with a Bible study or a study group, not with uh, you know a self help seminar, no anagram seminar. He starts the church with the pouring out of his spirit on his people, and every Christian, regardless of your your understanding of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, your traditional backgrounds in the church. Every Christian should be hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit. Our prayer lives should be full of, of appeals for God to pour out his Spirit into our hearts. We should constantly be asking God for more of his presence in our churches in a way that we, we so desperately need the Spirit. A.W. Tozer, an old preacher, he wrote, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Or as uh, Bono from U2 put it, religion is what happens when the Spirit has left the building. Now think about that. Think about if the Holy Spirit did leave, and he won't leave us who believe in Christ, but if the Spirit left our daily experience, how long would it take for us to notice? How long would it take our churches and Christian traditions to notice? Or would we just keep churning and building and teaching and reaching and serving and doing all the things? How long would it be before our churches notice the absence of the Holy Spirit? More importantly, how long would it, would it take me to realize that the Holy Spirit was no longer filling me or empowering me. And so why do we need the Holy Spirit? We need him the way we need water and food and relationship. We should be as hungry for the Spirit as we are for anything else. Our deepest need is more of God's personal presence. All of our sins, the ones that we do, the things that we leave undone, that's all because of distance from the Holy Spirit. If we lack joy, if we're short on patience, if we don't trust, if we remain angry, if we're jealous, if we're greedy, if we're lusting, if we're just constantly overwhelmed and paralyzed by life, it's because we're doing life apart from the moment-by-moment power of the Holy Spirit. And so lastly, how do we respond? How do we respond to the Holy Spirit in our lives? The first thing is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even though all believers are are immediately filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 to be filled. Now think about that. Why would he tell believers who already have the Holy Spirit to be filled? These are his words. He's saying to reject the ways of the world, greed and sexual immorality and drunkenness, and instead, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Ephesians 5, we get this picture of being full of the Spirit, having the, the Spirit filling our lives as a life of joy and peace and purity. In Galatians 5, Paul says something similar. He says to walk by the Spirit in verse 16. And then the evidence of walking by the Spirit is verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so the results of being full of the Spirit are these fruits of the Spirit. You know, like if you've ever had a a cookie and you forgot to put the butter in it, you know, I know some, you know, vegans don't use butter and that's totally fine if you're vegan. But if you're not a vegan and you take a bite of a cookie and you forgot the butter, you know it immediately, right? And you're like, well, these are no good. I left out the butter. It's almost the same way if we're trying to pursue love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and then all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, something is totally missing. I missed the ingredient all the way back at the beginning and that's the Holy Spirit. All right, double the butter, At all times, double the Holy Spirit, you'll get more of love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not primarily about suddenly talking in tongues or prophesying or healing people or, you know, and Peter's shadow is cast on people as he walks by them and they're instantaneously healed. That's not always what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But what does happen is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness etc. Now, I do think those gifts are, are important, and I, I believe in them 100%, and I, I want us to grow into them more and more as a church. I want to grow into them more and more. But why is it that Paul explicitly tells us to be filled with the Spirit, those of us who already have the Spirit? It seems to mean they're, they're, he's describing a fullness or a filling of the Holy Spirit in terms of how we experience him. It's as if we can be full of the Holy Spirit or we can be dry in the Holy Spirit. And we haven't lost the Spirit entirely, but it's like we've, we've you know, condemned him to this dark, dingy basement in our lives rather than letting him fill every room in the house. And so Paul urges us to continually ask to be filled with the Spirit. And we know a lot of people who have experienced a profound filling of the Holy Spirit at some point in their Christian life. I don't believe that's some kind of second baptism in the Spirit. I don't think the Scriptures teach that anywhere. But many people experience a profound transformation in their Christian life when they begin to be asked, when they begin to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, think about it like this: any relationship that's important to you, whether it's marriage or if you're engaged or if you just have a really close friend, there are times when you feel distant from that person, right? If in marriage, you'll understand this even if you aren't married, there's times when you have dry spells, where you don't feel connected, where you've just gotten busy, or you've argued. And, you know, you're still married, you're still 100% married, but you're not enjoying all the benefits, all the fruits of that marriage. And the answer is always more quality-focused, unhurried time, right? There's no, there's no shortcut back to the strength of the relationship, and it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. We don't lose the Holy Spirit, but we can lose the quality of the relationship, our experience of his power and his presence. And when we feel that dryness, when we feel that distance or disconnection, the, the you know task is exactly the same. It's quality, unhurried time in God's presence. Seeking his face, bringing ourselves back before him. We've talked before about the epiclesis, prayer. It's an old Greek phrase used at commun- communion that means, come Holy Spirit. And we know, you know, it's like this first year seminary students like, actually, the Holy Spirit's already here. We're like, we know we got it, but the prayer is, come Holy Spirit, because we often don't feel His presence. We're not aware of His power in and around us. And so the church has historically prayed, come Holy Spirit, just as the psalmist would pray, arise, O Lord, not because the The Lord was sleeping because it's a way to to call upon the name of the Lord, to put ourselves in a posture of receptivity, that, Lord, we need you, we are hungry for you, we are thirsty for you. Would you pour out your powerful presence into our lives? I don't think being filled with the Spirit is some magical thing. It doesn't take some phrase where if you don't say it just right, you don't receive it. Instead, for me, it looks each morning like just asking the Lord in prayer, would you fill me with your spirit today? I'm running dry again. I don't, I don't feel you. You feel distant. But would you pour your presence into my life? Fill me with your spirit. And then I trust that God has filled me, that he has given me what he wants to give me for the day. And I don't have to, to wonder if he's, he's with me, but I can go out into my day knowing that God is with me by his spirit. And so be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then second and lastly, pray in the Spirit. And so this year, I hope you like sermons that end on the note of prayer. Uh, You know, our theme this year is prayer, church-wide theme is renewal-seeking prayer. So, uh, you know, just enjoy sermons that end on prayer. Giving you that now in February. Uh, My favorite quote I came across this week, there was an old revivalist named Samuel Chadwick which I think you automatically become like a revival leader if your name is Chadwick. But Chadwick says this, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. He fears nothing from our prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. He fears nothing from our prayerless studies, work, religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And the power is in prayer. It's calling upon God's presence to come and do what we cannot possibly do apart from him. And the phrase that Paul uses, it, we call it renewal-seeking prayer, praying for the renewal of our hearts and our minds and our lives and the churches and everything. Paul just calls it praying in the Spirit. That's his phrase, pray in the Spirit. In Ephesians 6, he calls on the church, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. In the book of Jude, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. Paul emphasizes the nearness of the Holy Spirit in our prayers. And he's probably calling us to Romans 8, where he says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf before the Father. It says the Spirit groans with noises too deep for words on our behalf. If you've experienced a profound loss or profound grief, you know what it's like to groan and not be able to find words because of the intensity of your pain. Paul is saying that's the Holy Spirit for you. Groaning with words that are unintelligible because of how he's grieved over the the emptiness of our lives or the presence of sin or or our lack of desire to pursue Him, the Spirit intercedes and does that for us. And how much more if we're seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, will will that prayer be heard by the Father who wants us to pray that very thing, wants to fill us with more of his presence. My prayer for for us, for this church, is that we are not just open to the Holy Spirit. Just You know, open but cautious is the phrase. Just open in case he wants to do something. I don't think you get that from the scriptures. We're called on to pursue the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit. Not just in comfortable chairs with our study Bibles out on our laps, even though I love doing that. Also on our knees, hungry from from days of fasting, seeking the Holy Spirit to be poured out into our lives and into our church and into our city. Like the prophet Isaiah begging God, rend the heavens and come down again. Set this world right. If you were in a desert, if you were in a dry and weary land, as Psalm 63 puts it, but you knew where water could be found, Wouldn't you go right to it? Wouldn't you go to the one place that you knew would give you life and nourishment that would sustain you? Wouldn't you want to live as close to it as possible? Maybe even throw yourself in the deep end and try to drink your way out? We know where the water is. The Spirit has come. We won't experience another Pentecost, but every day we can be filled with the Spirit and pray in the spirit it's the same powerful life-changing spirit that shook up on the day of pentecost that can shake our lives every day and god's promise through joel is now being fulfilled even in us even in this gathering he says in the last days i will pour out my spirit on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be
0: saved let's pray